Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. You know, we uh, live in a world right now that is extremely distressed. You know, I don't think we can watch the news and see all the graphic images and the pictures and and all the things that we've seen and not realize that uh, life as we know it can change so quickly. You look at these things and a lot of times we think, well, that's for some other foreign country far away and it doesn't affect us. But you know, friends, when we look at these things, we realize that especially as we understand that we're, we're in experiencing a time that I believe that unless you have a good solid faith in Christ, I believe your faith can be shaken. And I believe what you believed all about life for many years may immediately be changed and moved away. And again, this is why in the midst of calamity, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of these things, that we can still have a faith in Christ Jesus because our happiness, our joy is not based upon things around us, but from who God is. And I believe, again, this is really important because I think in the days to come, we're going to see more of this. I I think, uh, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, he says, when you begin to see these things, and again, as we look at these things, we, we see the, the pestilences that the Bible speaks of. We see the earthquakes. We see all the things that just, we've seen this devastation that begins to come on our earth. And the Bible says that Lot pitched his tent um, towards Sodom and Gomorrah, which was like the Lord's garden. It was so plush and so green. But by the time of King David, uh, that area where Lot pitched his tent was a desert. Now, that wasn't because of greenhouse gases. That wasn't because of fossil fuels. That was just because, again, the world is in a state of devo. It is unraveling. The Bible says in Isaiah that the world will wax old like a garment. And we see that. We see the the problems that the Bible says perplexity among nations. That means simply no way out. There's these issues that we see. And so if if we don't equip our heart uh, to realize that God has caused us to be a light in a world that's dark. And in other words, you are a message bearer of hope for a world that doesn't have any. People saying, I sure don't know what the world's coming to. Well, I do, and you do too. If you spend any time reading the, the Bible at all, you know that the Bible tells us that we are, are headed for, I believe, the rapture of the church and the judgment of God on this world called the tribulation period for seven years, preceding Jesus's millennial reign for a thousand years. Now, we can see how quickly things can change. You know, a lot of times we look in the Bible and say, oh, it would take hundreds of years for everything to unravel and go crazy. Friends, we saw how quickly things unravel. And I believe, again, you're going to see continuing things unravel because of everything that was hinged to that key part of the United States. The southern part is a very important part. And uh, we're going to see, I think, repercussions globally because of this. Again, as we understand, we live in a world that can change so quickly. That's why you need to be ready to do what God wants you to do. The Bible says to be instant in season and out of season, and so we want to do that. Now, in this chapter 21, it's kind of an unusual chapter, and you'll see why as we begin to read, because it almost seems that that it's unfair. But actually, when you understand that the Bible was written for our example so we would understand 
the relationship between our behavior and actions later in our lives, I think you'll begin to get the picture of why and what this is all about. Because otherwise, you may have a hard time connecting it. It may seem mean. And so we understand then that what we do, if you're not a Christian here tonight, your sins are following you. Not just, you know, a lot of times we think about that. We think, well, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sins? We go, well, I don't know. Listen, friends, it isn't just the sin that God forgives us for when we come to him. It's also the repercussions of those sins later on in our life. Now, again, there are some things that we've done in our days before we came to Christ, maybe even after you come to Christ, that when you went out and was rebellious to the Lord and you didn't want to do his word, um, you pay a consequence for it. Uh, and, and so, again, but we, we find that spiritually speaking, there is irreparable damage unless a person comes to Christ. That's one great thing about coming to Christ. Not only does he forgive our sins, but he forgives the spiritual repercussions through eternity. And that, friends, is what it's really about anyway. Well, this is a little bit of that kind of an understanding and that kind of story. And so uh, it was all brought about a famine. Now, again, we can have famines in our lives, those great times of going without. And we begin to wonder why these things have happened. Well, let's look at this together. Chapter 21. Father, as we go to your word tonight, may you bless it, may you encourage us, and as we read, may we understand further, Lord, your perfect promises for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Now, uh, the Gibeonites, interestingly enough, were a group of people that snookered Joshua back in Joshua chapter 9. And as a matter of fact, so you know who the Gibeonites are, let's turn over to that. So put your hand there and let's go over to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua 9. And uh, we're going to look and see who these Gibeonites are so these people just don't seem to be um, obscure people, but uh, somebody that you'll understand. Now we remember that Joshua sanctioned and called by God to go in to the promised land and this is what he was to do. In different places he was told to utterly destroy everything. And the reason why is because of their sinful practices were so bad. His uh, People in archaeology now tell us that because of their pagan practices, and we can see the pagan practices in our own society today, that many of these cities were filled with all types of venereal disease and all kinds of problems because of their sinful practices. God said, as a wipe them out. And in other places it mentions the cleansing of the land and things like this. But one of the things we find here that uh, the Gibeonites heard that Joshua was literally wiping the land clean and they became scared and so they devised a plan. Now, I got to say for the Gibeonites, they were very resourceful people <laughs> because they knew that they had to do something. Well, notice what they did. Came to pass, chapter 9, of uh, verse 1, uh, Joshua 9. Came to pass when all the kings who were on the side, this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands and all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, heard of it that they gathered together to fight Joshua and Israel with one accord. But the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, 
all patched sandals on their feet, all garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. So it looked like they had really, you know, like, like hit like a, like a, you know, a, uh, you know, a second-hand store, you know, some kind of a Goodwill kind of store or something. All their clothes were... And, and so what they were doing is they were putting on a masquerade. And so it says here, they went to Joshua, came to the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you would dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very far country. So your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion the king of Hesbron, and Og the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go to them and say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Well, look at this bread of ours. We took hot from our oven and from our houses on the day that we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And the wineskins which we filled, which were new, you see now they're torn, and our garments and our sandals, which have become old because of the very long journey. And the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Friends, that is really important. They were being snookered, and they didn't ask God about it. Now, you look at this, and they were giving them a story. Now, the reality was, they were from the next hill over the very next hill is where these guys were from, but they came seeking to make a covenant with them because they had heard of what God had done. Now, I got to tell you something here. I look at how God honors faith and sometimes even a little bit of kooky faith. But these guys were scared and they knew, they knew that God was the one that did it. They even give God the glory for it. They said, we've heard what your God has done. And by the way, when you think about it for a minute, they said all this, this, this a collusion of armies that were gathering to fight Israel, to fight Joshua, the Gibeonites didn't want to be a part of that. I think the Gibeonites said, hey, there's something about their God. I don't know what it is, but they just wiped out Josh, uh, Jericho. They just wiped out Ai, and, and, and we don't want to fight these guys. Let's make a covenant with them. And so they masqueraded. They pretended they came from a very long journey. And they did not consult and ask the Lord. You know, the Lord would have revealed to them that they were being snookered. But you know, the thing is, sometimes we get caught up with emotion. Sometimes we get up caught up with our own intellect and our own thoughts. And we leave God out of the equation. And friends, again, remember something. If you don't get anything else out of tonight, remember this. Things aren't always the way they appear. <laughs> now, you got to get that. The, the, the Bible says Satan is the master of lies. He, he's, he's the father of all lies. He's, a, he's the master deceptor. And, and, and his whole purpose is to fool you. I, I think about these people that the devil simply keeps stoned as they go sliding into hell for their eternity. What has the devil got to give somebody to keep their mind preoccupied so they won't seek him? I think sometimes the devil gives them the world. I think other times the devil keeps them in poverty. Whichever it may be, whatever it takes, the devil knows how to wipe people out. 
And certainly as you look at the people of Israel, as they did not seek the Lord and ask God's counsel, they were fooled. And friends, I'll tell you something. You can get fooled too if you don't seek God. If you don't ask God for what is real and what isn't real and am I being lied to and and, and how much of this is true and how much of this is false because again, uh, we understand that we do have a deceiver that wants to wreck our lives and wreck our purpose that God has for us. Again, God had called the children of Israel to go in to the promised land and establish the kingdom of Israel there. But we remember that because they did not seek the Lord, they allowed these group of people to exist. Now it says... They did not seek the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them, verse 15, and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So again, that was a promise that they had made to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were neighbors who dwelt near them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Cheparath, Baroth, and Kerdes Jarman. And the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and by all the congregation uh, murmured against the rulers. Then the rulers said uh, to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Now, again, you say, Mike, why is this important? You'll see why it's important in a minute. Because you know what? Even though they made a bad deal, God still recognized that that was a covenant because and for God. Now, as we get in back into chapter 21 of 2 Samuel, we're going to find the reason why we're reading this is that Saul, that first king of Israel, who did not really regard God, did not honor this covenant and what happened to him because he didn't. Now, by this time in in chapter 21, Saul is already dead. He fell on his sword and committed suicide. But the repercussions of what Saul did are so intense, friends. When we read this, you're going to see how important it is. So if you don't get this, it would seem that God was unfair. But the truth of the matter is, when we understand what's really going on here, that the breach was not so much with the Gibeonites, but it was with God himself in what he, what, what Saul had done. So they said, and they sworn before the Lord that they would not attack them. Yes, they were fooled, but they already made the covenant. Well, notice what it says. Verse 20, but this we will do to them. We won't attack them, but this we will do. We will let them live lest the wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. Now, verse 20 is important, friends. Because remember this, God does not punish somebody for what they're not aware of. Now again, Saul, first king of Israel, and again, when all the little schoolboys went to school, and they, 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 this is what they read. They read the Bible. So it was up to Saul to know what the previous covenants were. That would be like a new president coming in, or, or a new uh, king or a leader coming in, and saying, well, I'm the new king, and I disregard all the covenants that were ever made with our country to all our our friends. You don't do that. You can't do that. And this, unfortunately, is what Saul did because Saul did not, unfortunately, know his own nation's history nor the relationship that God had with these people. Now, ignorance is no excuse, and certainly in Saul's position, he had to know better because as he came against them, he paid his family paid a terrible price. So it says, because of, of the oath which we swore to them, 
Verse 21, the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. So Joshua called for them. He spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us? Uh, saying, we are very far from you when you dwell near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, water carriers for the house of my God. Now, actually, friends, it's not too bad a job. Uh, They could have been killed, but instead they became, you might say, workers at the church. So uh, sometimes when you always think that maybe working for church is a neat thing, and this is what their punishment was. But that wasn't much of a punishment. And I think it's interesting what happened here. Well, as we get into this a little bit farther, when we get up there, we'll find the encroachment of why the famine was upon the land of Israel because of the way Saul had dwelt with the Gibeonites. And when when David went to the Gibeonites and said, okay, we realize that there has been a tremendous injustice done to you by Saul as he attacked you, which it was forbidden, what we're reading here. What do you want me to do for you? And you know what the Gibeonites said, interestingly enough? We'll get up to, I want to study this a little bit further when we go back to chapter 21. You know what they said? They could have at that point said, we want to be free. We don't want to be slaves in the house of God anymore. And we want gold. And we want silver. And we want anything else that we can think of. Uh, Pizza. I mean, they, they could have added anything in there. But what's amazing here is that they did not want to be free from the job that they had. Now, that's interesting to me. Here was a carte blanche that David was offering them in in, in chapter 21 of 2 Samuel, saying, whatever you want, you can have it. Yeah, we wronged you. What do you want? And instead of them saying, okay, we don't want to be slaves anymore. We don't want to be woodcutters anymore. We don't want to be water bearers anymore for the house of the Lord. They didn't say that. They didn't mind that. I think that's kind of interesting. So look what he says. This is what you're going to be. You're going to be woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it certainly told your servants that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants. It's interesting, by the way, that the Gibeonites seem to know more about God than the children of Israel at this particular point. You remember oftentimes they were the ones that were always complaining to Moses. Well, here now you have the Gibeonites saying, yeah, we've done a little biblical study on our own and found out that God has indeed given you all this land and so we knew we had to do something or we were going to die. You know, that's pretty wise. You know, a person that knows they're going to die does something about it before they're dead. Isn't that great to know? And and do you want to know something? Every person that you know is going to die. I know that comes as a shock. But every person you know is going to die. Someday I'm going to die. Someday you're going to die. Now, we might get raptured and, oh, hallelujah, that's great. Feeling kind of weightless. I like that. But it may not be for a while. Who knows? Could be in three weeks. Could be tonight. We don't know. But but the thing is, we're going to die. And a person that understands that, in reality, begins to do something about it. And what they did is they researched this God of Israel to find out this exactly. What are we up against? And they went, woohoo, we're in trouble. We've got to do something. We've got to make peace with Joshua and his God. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting. The name Joshua in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, means God's salvation. 
The name Joshua in the Greek is the word Jesus. Oh. So all of a sudden you have the Gibeonites, i.e. like us, realizing that there is, God's going to do something. We're going to die unless we do something about it. We go and make peace with Joshua and understanding what God says. And you know what? Joshua let them live. And they became servants in the house of God. What are we going to be someday when we die and go to heaven? Anybody know? Servants in the house of God. I like that. And I don't ever, friends, want to be free from that. That's something I want to do. Now, we're not going to have to worry about getting sleepy anymore or getting hungry anymore. The Bible says, by the way, there's a lot of things that aren't going to be in heaven that we find here on this earth. But there's a lot of things that are. And food is one of them that's going to be in heaven. I like that. In fact, there are fruit trees that bear all the time. I like that. The Bible says there's a crystal sea, so all you water lovers, you're going to be at home there. Uh, maybe uh, people that like to jet ski, like to water ski, you're not even going to need a boat, man. I mean, Jesus walked in the water. Hey, I want to try that. But a lot of the stuff that we don't want in heaven, the stuff that we've seen ruin our lives and ruin people, that's all not going to be there. But there's going to be food in heaven. There's a sea in heaven. Jesus is going to be there most of all. And the Bible says we're going to be servants in his kingdom. And I like that. And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River Christian Fellowship with Second Samuel on It's Time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that Second Samuel is part two of the first and second Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. It's time.